0: And so I wait for him to get a little bit, you know, behind me, go in the opposite direction. I turn around. I fall on back to this building. This isn't as creepy as it sounds. <laughs> Welcome back to Slice of Life. It is me, your host, Zach Vaughn. I am joined today with like a tanned, olive skinned Latin Jesse Eisenberg, who, who who repairs things that fly and, and fights fires and and builds night vision goggles and really really everything. I mean the the <laughs> the, the scope of technical work that this man does and and all of his weird little hobbies that he has his, his fingertips dipped into. It's like, um, it's like sometimes late at night, uh, when I can't sleep, I'm like, I wonder who composed the score of, ah, real monsters. And I'll end up on a Wikipedia page and I'll be like, and now I know that, but instead of ending up on Wikipedia pages when he couldn't sleep as a child. He has ended up in popular mechanics books or whatever. And then he's like, I'm going to do, um, all of these things forever. And he has, his name is Ryan Hoover. He has been a good friend of mine for a long time, Ryan. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. First off, welcome home, buddy. (laughs) Thanks. How's it feel being back in a state that isn't, uh, burning?
1: Um, it's nice. It's a good change of pace. That's um, not
0: like a metaphor. Um I mean literally burning.
1: Literally burning right yeah. now. Um yeah, it's on the news. So, yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting transition going from working out in California and coming back here. I've I've found that my my driving kind of suffers. There's probably a lot of people in the Quad Cities that really dislike me right now. I'm a little bit aggressive by the time I get back, so.
0: Yeah, um they suck at driving here, man. I was ha- I literally had that thought as I was driving here from work today. Where I'm like, I'm going to get out uh, seven episodes of this podcast before somebody T-bones me and I die. <laughs> which is going to be, I think, probably great uh, mm-hmm. for like a, a cult classic sort of perspective of the podcast. I bet it, the numbers really are add
1: something to it, really yeah. going to
0: go up. Right. But it is um, a matter of time. Every time that I'm driving here and I just watch how negligent people are, I'm just like, I'm... It's it's not a it's not a if, it's a it's a when. It's somebody's a win. somebody's gonna hit me.
1: I was pretty excited. They uh they just put a roundabout in right next to my house. And uh I think I'm gonna put up a webcam and maybe like do like <laughs> a pay to play kinda like you can watch, you know, Midwesterners kinda react to how to navigate uh a roundabout. Um I think it's it's really gonna pay off well.
0: Now you're located in like a not roundabout dense area correct correct so correct. this is for yeah. a lot of these it's folks. kind of a rural
1: roundabout so it'll be interesting you know i've never seen like a lot of tractors taking roundabouts um they might not they might just drive straight over because they can do that i don't know but i think it's it's really going to pay off for me
0: it yeah. is it is interesting to to see somebody like approach a roundabout for the first time in their life and watch their little their little peanut sized brains be like Yeah. This is just a circle. Do I just drive in it forever? I don't don't
1: know if you remember. Um, we were out in Utah. They had a couple intersections that had the, uh, the crossover lanes for turning left where you would actually cross all the lanes of traffic and you'd be on the far left side. I don't even remember seeing any of those when over there. I think, I think we need to introduce that in quad cities and just really, you know, thin the herd maybe a little bit. Probably. I think it, I think it would really do a lot for, for everyone.
0: Yes. Yeah, so uh, it is survival of the fittest, you know, it is good to introduce things periodically within a society that they kind of gets those numbers trending downward. Right. Um, right. and it, it, I mean, you, certain things don't, they don't work as well as you have hoped for them to. I don't know if you heard about this whole pandemic thing that happened. Uh,
1: yeah. I heard, I think I saw something on the news about that. Yeah. Uh,
0: during the initial days of that, it was the best time of my life. <laughs> uh, I was uh, I was essential uh the entire time. I didn't get like any hero signs in like my front yard or anything, but I think we all know yeah, what what I we was. Know. Exactly. Um and I just remember how dead the streets were and you'd go to grocery stores and they'd be empty, and I'm just like, if the world could just stay like this forever exactly it would be amazing
1: as a self-proclaimed introvert uh, it was really a magical time for me because i basically got required to do pretty much my ideal day for several months of my life so um you know having that as an excuse you're like hey got to do what they say so
0: and there are like all those studies that were releasing where they're like people that experience generalized anxiety disorders are, are having a much better time adapting to the pandemic like all those things and it's like yeah we are, we're doing, this is we're doing great. Other people are like, I haven't seen somebody and I want to go to the all. three work. weeks. Like I'm <laughs> losing my mind. and It's like, if I could never see somebody exactly again, um, that would be fantastic. But all good things come to an end. You unfortunately, do.
1: here we are traveling to the airport, people everywhere. <laughs> it's the worst. Yeah. It's kind of like getting on the plane last year and you know, nobody's on it and kind of pick a road of myself. It's pretty fantastic.
0: It was cool. There were a couple of times I got upgraded to first class. I would, I would always, whenever I would travel, um, by plane, we were in crews of like three or four. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, it just coincidentally worked out that when somebody approached you and they're like, Hey, we can upgrade one of these tickets. Actually, we can upgrade it to business class or we can upgrade to first class. You know, they would always come to, come to me. I was just the person around And uh, they're like, so which ticket do you want to upgrade? And I'm like, it should probably be mine. I've earned this. Yeah, (laughs) every time. I'm essential, so. Nobody else got an upgrade when they were around me. (laughs) You would have thought just statistically one of them would have, but.
1: Well,
0: they they knew. They could see it. Snoozy lose Exactly. Oh, yeah, they knew because I I, I made sure to tell them. Right. I I made sure to, like. I don't know if you knew this, I'm quite, quite important. I wasn't discreet about it. It wasn't like, hey, guys, I, I, uh. They asked if we could upgrade a ticket and I went ahead and said mine. No, I was like, hey, guess what? You fucking pieces of shit. <laughs> <laughs> but even even then, like, flying in coach wasn't a wasn't a bad situation. No, it, no you still, it was a
1: very interesting
0: time. It was open.
1: Yeah, I actually went to uh we, we were going up to Canada last spring to finish up my aircraft and get ready to fly on fire season last year. And uh it was very difficult to get into Canada at that time. Pretty much you had to be have all kinds of documentation. So uh, we actually went up to the border crossing at one point and they pretty much knew we were coming that day and knew us by name and like we were the people crossing through the border that, that day. So we uh, we made those c- Canadian Mounties, you know, that we made their day. Um, I think they were really excited to see us.
0: You gave them some stickers, some fist bumps? Or... Some fist
1: bumps. Um, apologized for, for their time, you
0: know, as you do. Oops, sorry. Sorry? Yeah. <laughs> So why don't you explain, um, to the people that don't know exactly what it is you do, because a lot of these people listening to this podcast, um, are my friends, which means that they aren't doing anything with their lives and will probably continue not doing anything cool with their lives. <laughs> so if you could just let them, uh, live Cur- that- currently or formerly, let's walk through, let's walk through mm. the whole thing. You have a, you have quite, the, quite the resume. Well, thank you. Yeah.
1: Have you been stalking my LinkedIn or what's going on here? I do stalk your LinkedIn.
0: Your LinkedIn. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, dude. You're like a, uh, you're like a, uh, you're like a right wing fan fiction. It's like Jack Reacher and then right under him. And I mean by decimals, (laughs) thousands of a percent Ryan Hoover, except you're a real person. Well, that's true. You're a real I mean, Tom Cruise bit. is quite the badass, though. I mean, you have to admit, you know,
1: all of his roles. He's pretty amazing.
0: Yeah, after you've seen the new Top Gun, I Absolutely, course, yes. How erect were you throughout that, that entire movie? Twelve. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it couldn't get harder. <laughs> I had to uh, I had to leave the theater, and I went straight to the emergency room uh, because I was suffering, like, priapism. Over I had four hours? To, I had to, yeah, I had yeah, to yeah. get it drained.
1: Over four hours is bad, yeah, man. All right, so... uh Hmm.
0: where to start when did you when did you get into the military
1: uh, I was 17 so senior year of high school I joined
0: um. for For those of you that are that are listening we aren't doing film uh, this season Ryan Hoover joined when he was 17 and he's continued to look 17 <laughs> uh, every day since I've known him he could be 17 right now he could be 57 years old I have no concept of time or age with him I don't know it all um, so please continue. Well, thank you. You joined 17, which could have been two years ago or could 20 been, years ago.
1: It was a couple of years ago, a few handful. Yeah. Yep. Uh, as a Chinook mechanic. Okay. As we did after I completed all the training at that, please I was continue. working at a industrial engineering firm, uh, as a electrician. And then later on I was uh, working like as a service tech. So I was going around doing installations of industrial equipment. So that's kind of where I got my background with electrical and experience with that
0: what's your education background? I guess I never considered. Did you, did you go to college? I have
1: zero college. I'm just high school and all OJT and army schools, I guess, for the most part.
0: Yeah. 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 I, I didn't, I didn't think that you did. I mean, not, that I would have been surprised if you had went to MIT and like <laughs> solved uh, equations for a janitor on like a blackboard or something. But yeah, I didn't. I didn't. I think
1: it. my life goal is I really want to teach like a university level class just on principle, just to say I've done it. Like skip the university thing and just go teach a class maybe. So, yeah, bucket, bucket list thing, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, you could probably <laughs> do that. So you, uh, so, so you got into, um, you got into engineering.
1: Yep. So I was doing that. I've um, got a lot of experience doing that. Shortly thereafter, I think I did that for four years, four or five years, and then I uh, began working at the unit full-time um, as an avionics tech. Doing that, so working on the Chinooks and the OH-58s we had out there, mm-hmm. and kind of spent the next, ooh, I think it was 11 years out there full-time at the facility, either working avionics or working on the Chinooks and the Lakotas.
0: Did you deploy before you were a full-time tech at the facility? No. Yeah, 2011 was my first deployment. Okay. So that was kind of
1: the deployment where the rest of the tradition started. So
0: yeah. Um, on top of Ryan's, uh, impressive resume, uh, again, it's, it's a miracle that he has the time to be here with me. <laughs> he, he's also, he's also the man that's responsible for bringing, uh, Lionel Richie into the cultural zeitgeist of all of aviation. How did this, how the stencil happen? Walk us through that.
1: So, uh, we started with, we had all our shipping containers, everything going on deployment. So each of the, the companies, the flight company, maintenance, echo company, we were all kind of choosing some sort of symbol to put on our gear to make it easy to figure out who's is, who's is, who's. And I think it was like kind of printed off as a joke and we're like, Hey, we, you know, maybe somebody should do this. And we kind of audible kicked it down the road. And uh, the original stencil I think said hello at the bottom, kind of the classic yeah. Lionel Richie hello. And at some point while we we're down at Fort Hood getting ready to mob, uh I made it up and actually made it in a stencil. And we kind of started spray painting it around the area and putting it on stuff. And then uh, we were doing a lot of night vision flying because that's what we're getting ready to go do when we deploy to Iraq. So kind of made some changes, made it into All Night Long, another great Lionel Richie song, kind of fit our mission set. And then uh, we kind of just that took off from there. We started putting it everywhere. And, uh, kind of came time for, you know, uh, with the flight units, when we go in country, we get to choose our, our call signs. And there's a whole list of basically pre-approved call signs that are able to be picked. And there's a bunch of requirements that go into like what makes it on the list and what doesn't. And it just so happened that, uh, night long was available as a call sign. So, uh, the command decided to choose night long as our call sign for that deployment. And it kind of turned into our new theme for the, for the year. So.
0: There's so much, there's so many questions uh, that I have <laughs> j- just literally just on this topic. I imagine anytime somebody sees uh, a Lionel Richie stencil while deployed, it gets sent to you. I assume you receive all of them. Probably. I, I receive a lot. Yeah. Where's the, where's the craziest place that, that Lionel's popped up or like, do you have like any favorite locations where you're just like, this is such a small world that like, you're just like,
1: I'm trying to think.
0: Cause I know, I, mean, I, like I know we saw Iraq them, we saw them, we saw them in and we saw them in Taji. I yeah. feel like there probably isn't a single place that you can go to. that
1: Deployment wise, I think they're probably about everywhere. I think probably my favorites are there's like a lot of one, especially like the stickers that, you know, we have so many guys doing so much cool stuff on their mid tour leave on their vacations that, you know, you get stickers that are pop up in Southeast Asia or somewhere in Africa or, you know, guys taking a TDY trip somewhere and, Those are probably the coolest ones, though, just, like, random hole in the wall. Um, I actually had a buddy who found we were stuck in Turkey in 2011, landed at Incirlik Airfield, had some issues with our C5, and we were stuck there for, I want to say, almost a week, and uh, spent a lot of time going out on the town, going to a bunch of places that, in hindsight, we weren't supposed to go to if we'd have watched AFN, but, I mean, who has time for that? So... uh, Went to a couple bars and restaurants around the area and threw some stickers up and like still to this day like people are like hey it was like was, was this you it was like maybe I don't don't really remember but yeah probably there's a pretty good chance like it was kind of a blur.
0: It is crazy. Like I I would say out of out of everything in my in my life, like knowing that story and like like being around you guys, seeing seeing that in any number of locations probably has the most ability to like shrink my entire world. You know what I mean? Like, that's like the cool thing about it is you're just like, Holy shit. Like it's a, it's a small world. Like here's somebody I know I interact with on a relatively regular basis that did this thing. And then years later, I'm discovering this on the other side of the world right here. It is kind (laughs) of like what it's like, it just, it breaks your brain almost how popular that it's gotten and like it's it's everywhere dude it's been fun it's yeah been a lot of fun <laughs> yeah and you're still uh, you brought me a you brought me a lionel shirt you today your own shirt, yeah. i'm so happy i've been wanting <laughs> one for a while and then you got to of course meet lionel richie i did who yeah. set who set that up how how did how did lionel become aware so of? that was
1: kind of a fun story in itself that uh, a lot of people don't know um obviously we filmed a special it was on cbs this morning they kind of Gained a lot of traction with Lionel, and uh, a lot of people saw it. But leading up to that, it was kind of a cool story in itself. Um, we actually got called out to go do a, a static display in uh, the, I believe it was in Anamosa or Monticello, or the fairgrounds up there. And uh, we took a 47 up there, and basically it was a concert going on. They were going to do a big re-enlistment ceremony. Uh, the concert that night was Toby Keith. So they were going to do a big enlistment ceremony at the start of the concert. They wanted it as a backdrop and kind of a static display. So we repositioned an aircraft. And uh, while while we were there, his film crew that goes around with him on tour came over. And they wanted to film the aircraft. And like, in Toby Keith fashion, I think his concert series that year and every other year was sponsored by Ford. So we had this F-150 done up with all his concert stuff. And uh, they're like you guys think we could fit this inside the aircraft and like we want to unload it and get video of it and we're like oh yeah absolutely they're like are you sure I'm like ah 100 percent. like we filled some, so many of these things in here like it's like all right one condition like one of us has to drive it we're not letting you guys drive this thing to our, our aircraft and ruin some so i don't remember who actually drove it in but then drove it in and had a video of it coming off that i think he used in one of his music videos later on and uh, so they kind of just got a bunch of clips and video, and they're like, "Hey, can Toby come over and check out the aircraft?" We're like,
0: absolutely. No, he can't. No, no, no
1: we're good. <laughs> so uh, they went back, and they came back over, and he's like, "He's doing sound checks. He's kind of caught up." And they're like, "Would you guys want to go backstage instead?" I'm like, I was like, I'm not gonna say no to that. So we go went backstage and met with them, and you know, we have our. our flight patches that you've seen. We have the shirts on, the hats and everything. And, and he's just looking at it and he's like, is that is that Lionel Richie? I'm like, yeah. And I brought some extra shirts and hats and patches with him. So I gave him a couple. And he's like, can you guys hold it up? I want to take a picture. So he takes a picture with his cell phone. And then uh, a couple of minutes later, he's like, hey, Lionel, Lionel really likes it. He wants to talk to you guys. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> he's like, yeah. He's like, I sent it to him. Like, he, he thinks it's pretty cool. And so they kind of... Connected the dots that night. And um, I think it was a week or two later, his, his agent reached out to uh, the Iowa National Guard, uh, to our public affairs office, and it kind of trickled its way down. But like, hey, he wants to meet you guys. He's going on tour in Europe soon. Like, he's got a pretty short timeline. It's like, can we fly a couple of them out to uh, L.A. and film a little segment for CBS, kind of going over and talking about the history of it and everything? So uh, Captain Winborn, who was the commander at the time, and I flew out to L.A., and we actually filmed it at uh, Los Alamitos, which is the California Guard's little National Guard base down in L.A. area, uh, which, ironically, one of our Chinooks we're flying right now for fires is based out of there. So it's kind of a small world full yeah. circle. But uh, So, yeah, we flew out there, spent a couple days staying in Hollywood and going down to Los Alamitos and filming. And uh, that's where the CBS this morning special came out. And then uh, they flew a film crew up, and we took them up to Door Gunnery, uh, I believe it was a week or two later. So they kind of flew along to Door Gunnery, got some footage there, which was probably my favorite part of the whole thing, because it's a bunch of film guys from L.A. who are kind of used to that, that type of culture and people and filming. And uh, we loaded them up in Davenport on a Chinook with all their film gear, kind of rigged up a bunch of cameras, and I had my night vision stuff for doing night vision camera footage for them. And uh, on the way up to Volkfield we were going up there to shoot on their gunnery range. The One of the aircraft had an issue, so I had to land at this little grass strip next to this town in Wisconsin on the way up there. In true Midwest fashion, as soon as we land, everybody starts coming in from town and Farmers are driving by and bringing their kids over and, like, you know, turns into an air show. So yeah, we had three aircraft. One of them was having issues. The other two were just sitting there waiting. So we were giving tours to people, and people were bringing us food. Um, One of the kids that was there is, like, my dad runs the creamery right up the road. Like, do you guys want some cheese? I'm like, absolutely, we do. And they brought us, like, 30, 40 pounds of, like, cheese curds and cheese and all kinds (laughs) of stuff. And so we're just picking out on this stuff, and the film crew's, like, what is this like? This would never happen around us. Like, welcome to the Midwest. This is how it is out here. Like, yeah, well, a little bit, everybody, everybody knows everybody. You don't know anybody.
0: So, how did you? How did you get into night vision? Then, obviously, uh, you you'd spent quite a bit of time. I did uh, with it, and then it, eventually, you're just like, I'm going to.
1: So, I actually, I started. Um, we flew a lot of MVG hours that deployment in 2011. I don't remember what unit was maintaining or goggles, but weren't doing a very good job, in my opinion. And I probably voiced my opinion because I can be a little bit uh, vocal about stuff like that sometimes. Yeah, occasionally. And so uh, I was kind of brought to my attention when I got back. Like, well, if you don't like it, then do better. I was like, okay. So I went and did the uh, MVG maintainer course and then did the uh, quality control course for the MVGs um, pretty much right when we got back and kind of took over taking care of all the MVGs for the, the facility. So i have been doing that for a while, and we ran into some issues when we got back from that deployment of getting parts. Um, a lot of our goggles, I mean, we flew with them a lot, and they just needed a lot of work and a lot of inexpensive parts, but parts that were difficult to get. So I'd actually kind of started reaching out to some of the commercial vendors just to see if anything was available just to buy some of these like silly things like O-rings and caps and stuff that was commercially available and not. Super important, but like we couldn't get for some reason. And uh, a couple of the vendors were like, well, what do you do? And I explained it to them. They're like, are you looking for side work? It's like, I don't like, I don't have a test set. Like I'm, I'm using the military's test set. Like I can't bring in a bunch of personal goggles and work on NVGs at work and make money off of it. Like think I might get trouble for that. So it was kind of in my back of my brain, like, Hey, there's actually a market for this. And like, not a lot of guys with experience doing it. So I was cruising one of the government liquidation sites and they said they had a bunch of avionics test sets. They were auctioning off. And so I'm an avionics guy. I was curious. I'm like, Hey, I wonder what they got. So I look at it and like, that's an MVG test set. And it was like three of them. So I was like, Ooh, like, I wonder if they're any good. So I, uh, bid on them and I won all three of them. And so it's like, I've got couple thousand dollars into the three of these things and they showed up and they all work they're good they're calibrated i was like hey now i've got something so then i started kind of reaching back out to some of the people i talked to and like hey i've got this test set if you're interested and so i kind of started picking up doing uh repairs and building units for a lot of the commercial vendors and just building night vision that way and kind of got into the market and kind of established myself and then started doing my own in-house as well So.
0: What has it evolved into? Are, are you still doing it pretty regularly? Um, not as much. I know you, I'm, your schedule is a lot right. more crazy now, but it's
1: the market's been really interesting. At the time when I started doing it was there wasn't a lot of money for like most of what I did, honestly, was law enforcement, um, agencies, that kind of stuff. Um, I didn't do a lot of commercial. I didn't. I'm an introvert. I don't really like talking to people and doing sales and I'll readily admit that. So yeah, wasn't my favorite thing to do. So I kind of tried to stay on like doing bulk purchases and like building 10 or 12 or 50, 100 units and just knocking them out for like an agency or a a police department. And so I kind of put a lot of focus on that. And then within the last, I'd say four to five years, there's just been a lot more money available to those departments to kind of buy brand new stuff instead of trying to fix what they've got. So um, the margins on night vision are not good at all.
0: <laughs> how la- How labor intensive was that?
1: Um, it's not bad. Wasn't I could too bad. I could build a set of binos
0: or repair a pair of set of binos
1: in a couple hours, pretty easy. Um, worst case, I mean, there's times that if they don't need much work, I could knock them out in thirty minutes if I had to. Um, so I actually built, had one big purchase, and they showed up. I think it was December 23rd or 24th. One year, I got this giant pelican case showed up on my deck of my house with like three hundred units in it. And they wanted them by New Year's. So pretty much that whole Christmas uh, off time I was building NVGs in the basement. Happy uh, holidays. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but so it knocked it out pretty quick, but it was interesting.
0: Yeah, that's it's it's fascinating to me. I knew you from within the unit and you just had a sparkling reputation, but you were just you're just so technically proficient in a way that you you meet people in life and and their skills vary from yours so much that you're just like their brain is just it's just wired differently. Right, it just seems like you take to that stuff so easily. Has it always been that way for you?
1: Yeah, I think so. It's been a uh, I've always enjoyed. Can I? Figuring out how things work and taking things apart. Like
0: who who were you as a kid? Like what would like what were what were uh, your hobbies? What was interesting you when you were
1: I played Legos nonstop. Yeah. Lots of just building things and I was definitely the kid that didn't follow the directions and I just shot from the hip and saw what I could put together. So I think that was probably kinda of help build those kind of building blocks in the brain.
0: Yeah, man. I, I I played with Legos a bunch as a kid and it's it's really insane like reflecting back um, as dumb as I became as an adult, you, you wouldn't have thought it didn't seem like it seemed like those things, it, w- it would have worked out differently, but well, <laughs> <laughs> that's really cool. So you, you joined the unit, you're 17. Um, you decide to work on Chinooks. I also, I joined when I was 17 as a mm-hmm. Chinook mechanic as well. Did you have any sort of inkling of an idea in your mind that you're like, I think what I'm about to do. In, in one way or another is going to be the theme of what I do for, for my life? Was there any concept of that? where you like, I think helicopters are so cool that whatever happens, I'm doing this forever. Or is that something that kind of developed over time? And if it did develop over time, what do you think kind of caused that development in you?
1: I guess kind of going into it, like I grew up around aviation. Um, my dad, like I was an army brat. So my dad was an air defense guy. And it's kind of counterintuitive. He like blowing up airplanes. But I spent a lot of time around airplanes and learning about airplanes because he spent a lot of time studying them. And, like, we had, I don't know if you ever saw the old school, like, there's decks of cards you can get that have, it's got, like, all the different aircraft for, like, identification that they used, Cold War era. It's like we always had these decks of cards with airplanes on them. So it's like I was always looking at the airplanes and learning the facts about them and all this information about them. And then my, both my grandparents or my grandpa's were aviation. So my grandpa that lived here locally, um, on the farm and ran the farm had an airplane. So I spent a lot of time going with him on flights and he was, he would take like me and my other boy cousins. We'd go to Dayton for the Air Force Museum or we'd go up to Oshkosh. And so like I spent a lot of time with him being around that portion of the industry. And then my grandpa down in Phoenix, which was my, my dad's father. Uh, he was a, aviation engineer. So he was electrical engineer and built radar systems and did a lot of very technical stuff. And uh, kind of the cool thing with that was a lot of the projects he worked on were kind of prototype one-off type of stuff. And most of them ended up down in Tucson. So um, a lot of times when we were out there visiting, we'd go down to Tucson, to the, the boneyard down there, and he'd walk around and point out stuff that he'd worked on and these little projects. And, you know, you see these weird oddball planes and he'd tell you some backstory about it. So it's like I kind of I grew up around that and I knew I really liked aviation. Um, I guess I didn't really expect it to be what it's kind of turned into today, but it was a really interesting upbringing and it's like I knew, I knew it'd be something I would enjoy.
0: yeah, going into it. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean you're all right at it, which I, uh, I think I'm pretty okay. <laughs> <laughs> so the conversations that I had with you first off, you're so incredibly quick-witted. And you have such a dry sense of humor, <laughs> um, and that's and that's coming from me. Somebody that prides myself for my dry sense of humor and my ability to kind of roast others. Um, between you and Mac at the facility, we we kind of constantly had to be on our toes. You know, there was probably still as as an adult. I'm about to turn thirty. If if I make a post on Facebook to this day, I'm like, what about this post? Um, can Ryan berate and harass me. Uh, <laughs> you just have to, you just have to keep your head on a swivel. Some things, some things don't fly, but you have some of the most capable of causing belly laughing stories that I had heard when we were uh, getting drunk in Utah. Uh, <laughs> um, And one story that one story that comes to mind uh, was, you building uh decks uh, uh yes and i would i would love to hear that story again i All think right. I, I think every person would love to hear uh, that story <laughs> the, the deck so let's so let's walk us let's walk us through let's really set the scene where are you right. uh, when did this
1: happen the year is 2011 beautiful camp taji iraq love it beautiful place real nice
0: i had a nice deck out there did you yeah
1: we did for a, a very short period of time. <laughs> I'm sure you guys had similar living quarters. You had the the choose, the trailers, the with yeah, multiple rooms. We're and...
0: underneath um underneath the the concrete. Oh, okay. You know, I'll very, buy that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh I think they said and I never fact-checked it, but I just it was one of those things you hear and you're, you assume that's true that those enclosures it was almost like having trailers built inside a parking garage uh for the for the listeners to kind of keep in mind what you're thinking of. And apparently those enclosures were put there to protect Saddam Hussein's tank fleet from Mm -hmm. mortar attacks. Is that Mm -hmm. correct? I I assumed it was Yeah, Tashi
1: was like their big um, mechanized vehicle maintenance facility, I think, for the country. So that's up on the north side. There's the giant junkyard there. It was just full of random broken things.
0: Kevin Brown and I, every day, there was a gym like – 200 feet away from our trailer we had a nice deck we had a poker table we'd have hookah nights out there Mm. we'd get back from work in the morning and we would at first we would go to this um this gym very very close by to us and eventually we started walking all the way across taji um to this gym much further and more inconvenient to get to because that would allow us to walk through the trailers and the chews that um, countries like Australia and Scotland and stuff where where they were kind of staged at, and I referred to that area as funland um <laughs> because what was all grim and bleak with what we were able to do in terms of decoration uh, in our area didn't exist for them. They didn't Did have not. those rules there were they had war trophies uh they had they had ordnance. They had outside mounted TVs, bars, cabanas, uh, full patios with swinging doors, deck lights, and I would, when I was in the you know the lowest of my days when I really needed to pick me up, I would just walk through uh, Funland on mm-hmm. the way to the gym, and I'd be like, "Wow, life sure seems cool for these guys." <laughs> uh, and that was that, <laughs> that was what—that your little pick me up. Um, and uh, Ryan attempted to build his own little fun land. Uh, I did.
1: Um, mixed success, shall we say? Uh, I guess it really started. Where are we at, statute limitations-wise? <laughs> All right. I, I'll, I'll let the, the rest of the individuals remain nameless okay. uh, for the purposes of this podcast. Um, we were at Fort Hood, uh, beautiful north Fort Hood, actually, uh, God's country.
0: Um, the great place. The great place. Exactly. Uh-huh. I passed through, I can't remember what town I passed through the other day, but that's what they had on the, like their sign welcoming you to their mm. town. That was close by. It's bold. Like, I can't remember. And I saw that and it took me back and I'm just like. In the best ways, I'm sure. I'm like, there's only one great place. <laughs> it's and it's not. And, and this isn't it. And this isn't <laughs> it.
1: We were at the great place. Uh, we were walking out to the airfield and every day as we walked out to, to the airfield to the aircraft, um, there was a stop sign that was in the ditch. Somebody had hit it probably with a hemmet or a Humvee, or maybe one of those giant longhorn that just runs around and knocks things over. I don't know. But there was a stop sign that sat in a ditch the majority of the time we were there. So it was the night before we were supposed to leave. Um, I was on the last C-5 leaving with two of our aircraft. And so we were kind of the last holdouts there waiting to load up on the aircraft and head out. And the stop sign was still there. I was like, we should... We should take that. Like that would be a nice little little piece of home to kind of remind us, you know, what we're fighting for is the giant red U.S. stop sign. So uh, we did.
0: Okay. Um, as you do, you just acquire yeah. things.
1: Somewhere I have a picture of me walking up to the C5 carrying the stop sign. I don't know what happened to it. I need to find it again because it was pretty epic. Um, and as soon as we got on the aircraft, they just died laughing and they they enjoyed it as much as we did. So. So, we, I hauled this stop sign from, from there to Spain. We've got p- pictures of it in Spain, uh, to Turkey, to Kuwait, uh, eventually ending up in, in Taji. So, we have the stop sign. And uh, in the Chu area, it was like all the enlisted guys, all the flight crew, flight engineers, door gunners, and stuff. We we're all staying in the same area. So, we'd all get back from mission. We'd all go outside, hang out, smoke, joke, whatever. And uh, I really a lot place to do it because it's basically just a sidewalk. And so, we're like, we should build a deck, which turned into every time we flew somewhere looking for scraps of wood to build this deck out of because wood was kind of hard to come by. So anytime we're like hauling stuff, we're like scouting out for for wood or like if we drop this off and we keep the pallet, we'll have some more wood. So we eventually uh, accumulate enough wood to start building this deck, and uh, we've got some pretty good deck builders on the crew. So they threw it together like proper, solid deck, real nice. They throw it up. Well when you got a deck of course you need to start decorating it so stop signs first thing on it so it's dead center in the center of the deck mounted at the end of the chew um, throughout the course of the next couple of weeks uh, every time we fly somewhere uh, another stop sign or uh, I take that back we only had one stop sign other signs start showing up so we had some like NTV parking signs um, some signs from various chow halls that were closed down or no longer in operation Um an Employee of the Month. don't know who he was. I think he worked for KBR, but he was our Employee of the Month as well. Um, the chow hall on Taji that was on the south end was actually closed down. It had a, a large John boat uh, inside of it with Camp Taji painted on it. So that was on our deck. And then uh, we kind of, I guess, took a little bit of a turn and started going the like Memento uh, War Trophy route. And uh, we had a couple Dishka's um some AA guns. Uh, I think there was a Christmas tree on top of one of the chews at one point. And uh I think the one that maybe did us in was the Dishka on the roof with the flashing lights attached to the barrel. It was maybe the <laughs> that might have been the, the straw that broke the proverbial camel's back. Um needless to say, the the cells showed up. Still not quite sure what those people do. Like I I think if I ever meet somebody and it's like, "What'd you do on deployment?" They're like, "I was in the mayor's cell. I'm. I think I might just hit him. <laughs> I think that is completely fair. The mayor's cell uh, located our deck somehow. Might have been the flashing arrow on the roof. I'm not sure, but they were not impressed. Uh, the MPs and got involved. Um, we went to the police station, gave our our statements. Um, they were convinced that I had stolen this stop sign from somewhere on Taji, and because I had stolen it, now they had to post a guard there uh, to make sure nobody ran the intersection and killed somebody, which is good. Like, we don't want anybody to just die in a traffic accident in Iraq. That'd be kind of unfortunate. Uh, however, he they didn't realize that, um, I'm sure as you've seen, pretty much all of these stop signs in Iraq have Arabic writing on them, and this one didn't, and it had a Texas DOT sticker on the back of it. So... <laughs> I'm not saying they got the the highest ASVAB scores, but, you know. Of course, yes. (laughs) But, yeah, I uh, almost got an Article 15 for that one. Kind of me and one of the other gentlemen kind of took the fall for a lot of it. And I claimed to have taken a lot of signs that I have no idea where they came from, but just kind of worked it out. And then we spent the next, uh, I think, 45 days building sandbags and uh, building bunkers, which was... Less than ideal in July in Iraq. However, made it through, so didn't lose any rank, didn't lose any money. Kind of worked out.
0: Yeah, it, it does. It does kind of work out that way. That story uh, tickles me in the aspect that I know a few of our listeners are going to understand, like exactly how bored uh, you get, <laughs> um, and and the ways that your brain uh, entertains itself when when there's just nothing. There's just nothing to entertain you. Um, there was a period of time in that deployment where I got really into uh, this one thousand piece jigsaw puzzle um, that was uh, out kind of back behind our break room when we were when we were still in Bering, and uh, you know I'd sit down and I'd work on that puzzle a little bit every day, and it was my puzzle. I mean, it was I found the box. It wasn't it wasn't technically mine, but. It was my puzzle, Mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, I, I go back there one day and this, uh, this, this girl that wasn't attached to, that wasn't our unit. She was a Chinook mechanic, um, from another state and she, uh, she got pushed on to us. Um, she was working on it and I'm like, man, that's, that's my fucking, that's my puzzle. You know, I've been, I've been working on a thing for a while, um, and I didn't know I didn't know what to do to like to write that wrong. So I just took uh, a handful of pieces of that puzzle and just threw it away, <laughs> and just let just her just spite. just let her uh, get to the point where she almost completed it. Um, before she's like, I'm never gonna be able to complete you could, this.
1: You could have done that or the uh, the old Monopoly flip when it doesn't go your way.
0: I <laughs> uh, that was how I cho- i I chose to do it that way. I did a. That deployment was really kind of like an exercise, uh, in me learning the ways that I was able to push like my spiteful behavior in creative ways, uh, that I think have benefited me as an adult. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to try telling this story without naming anyone. Uh, so I'm just going to say our friends, um, but when we can were, I guess or no? <laughs> I don't think I don't think anyone. I mean, who's going to get in trouble? You know, is um, when we were in North Fort Hood, the first couple weeks we were there, um, before we were gainfully employed. You know, before we were actually down doing our jobs on the, the airfield they had there, it kind of seemed like uh, nobody really fucking knew what they were doing. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. so it kind of seemed like we were creating our own schedules for 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 a little bit of the time that we were there. Right. Here are things that need to be done that you need to accomplish, you know, just hopefully do them sometime. And one of those things was we had to go pick up um, our J-list for, you know, all of our our mop gear. And we were in North Fort Hood in September this time, you know, it was still hot. It was uh, hotter than it should be because it's Texas and the tent where they were issuing out the J list was like a mile walk from where we were staying. So I kept putting it off and putting it off. And one day I woke up and I go over to uh, one of our friends and I'm like, Hey man, do you want to walk with me to go pick this shit up? And he's like, yeah, sure. So we walk, we walk a mile to this tent and we get to this tent and it's, it's empty. There's no one there except for, for one kid who's like playing like angry birds on his phone and he has his feet kicked up on some boxes. He's just chilling, you know, and I walk up to him and I'm like, Hey man, I'm like, is this where we pick up our, uh, our J list stuff? And, uh he like sighs, like I'm inconveniencing him with this question. And he puts his phone down and he's like, no. And he points over to a table where no one's at. And he's like, that's where you pick it up. And I'm like, okay, well, hate to point it out to you, but (laughs) no one's there, man. And he's like, they just left for lunch. So they'll be back when they're back. Like just, just instantly rude with me. And I said, uh, I said, okay. I'm like, do you have an idea of when they'll be back? You know, how long ago did they leave for lunch is kind of what I was estimate, make an estimation. And he said, that seems like a question you can ask your squad leader. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense, man. My squad leader doesn't know these people. How would he, (laughs) he doesn't know when they left for lunch. You do, you know, I was furious, dude. I was Fuming, you know, like steam was coming out of my ears. And I remember walking out of that tent, and I'm like, "Fuck that guy, man! Fuck that guy! I'm gonna fucking get back at that dude." And uh, my buddy's like, "What are you going to? What What are you gonna do? You know, kind of like you aren't gonna do shit, man. Like we're in this deployment. Like shit sucks sometimes." I was pissed because he was right. I'm like, "You're right. I'm probably gonna do nothing. God damn it! You know, I didn't want to admit it at that time, but I'm like." You're right, that dude just got away with being a fucking cunt to me, uh, and I just have to live with it now. Uh, I have to acknowledge that. And I thought that was going to be the case, but it wasn't. A few days pass, and I'm walking to the PX, and who passes me walking the opposite direction but this guy. And so I wait for him to get a little bit you know, behind me, going the opposite direction. I turn around. I follow him back to this building. This isn't as creepy as it sounds. I mean. <laughs> follow him up the stairs to the barracks he's staying at, you know, keeping like a, a tail the way that you do when you're following right. someone. When you're following when you follow somebody. Is. Yeah, you don't want to alert them. Exactly. Um, follow him into the building, make a mental note. Make a mental note of what Bugs is. I'm like, got it. I'm going to save this information for later. I didn't know what I was going to do with the information. I'm just like. But you had it. I know where you stay now a <laughs> couple of days pass uh, at this point we're you know, we're going to the airfield every day. We're working on working on Chinooks as you do. And uh, we were on like a rotational basis for like who had a day off, you know, and it must have been my day off. I wake up it's like 10 in the morning. Pop out of bed, beautiful day, not a cloud in the sky, birds are chirping and stuff. I'm just like, "Ah, man, what a great day to be alive. It's like a, like 77 degrees out. Just gorgeous. I grab a Amazon box that I had next to my bunk for when I had mail sent to me or whatever. Take it with me, go to this kid's building. I expect, I I thought I had to be sneaky, but I open the door to his barracks, empty. Everyone's at work. I'm like, oh my gosh, I have all the time in the world. So I just go over to his bunk and then I start uh, boxing up his shoes in this Amazon box, but I couldn't fit all of his shoes in there. <laughs> so I just took uh, the left shoe of his running shoe and then the left shoe of his shower shoe. And I want the listeners to know stealing's wrong. When I was a child, one time I took some peanuts from peanut bin at IV. And my mom got very upset with me. And ever since then I've been adamantly opposed to stealing. I'll never be a thief in my life. So I didn't want to steal this kid's shoes. You know, I didn't want what he had. I just wanted him to not have those things <laughs> anymore. So I, I box them up. I uh I go find a dumpster that is comically far away, because I start getting the heebie jeebies. I'm like, no, this would be the first dumpster he check, you know? So I end up like walking probably a mile to find a d- <laughs> to find a dumpster. <laughs> I dump the shoes, uh, and then I just walk away with a sense of satisfaction. I document the entire thing on Snapchat. I'm sending it to the boys at the airfield. They're like, "Oh my gosh, <laughs> you're so crazy, man!" And so I uh, that happens. You know, people are dapping me up when they get back. They're like, "Yeah, fuck that guy." You know, it's worth noting that aviation just hates supply. that's true (laughs) yeah we (laughs) fuck supply um so so i was getting dapped up pretty hard you know as the kids say and i eventually had the thought where i'm like that was fun but i'm never going to be able to get the satisfaction of seeing that kid get home from work and like i'm gonna go to the gym or i'm gonna take a shower and being like no i'm not and it it bummed me out Uh, periodically throughout the entire deployment, that like that intrusive thought would come into my brain. I'm just like, I wish I was there, you know, like I I wish I got to experience that. So we go through the entire deployment, go back to North Fort Hood for our out processing at the end of the deployment, get placed into our temporary barracks while we're going through our out processing. And it never crosses my mind that the barracks and the floor of the barracks that we get placed in. Where the floor of the barracks that this kid was in at the start of the deployment. So I'm laying in my bunk one day and these kids come up into this barracks and, uh, they, they get up to like the ventilation that runs above the wall lockers and stuff. They're like standing on each other's backs and they're like, open up the ventilation. They're like, is it in there? It's in there. They're like, no, it's not. I'm like watching this happen. I'm like, what the fuck is going on right now? So they all dart except like one of them's like closing up the ventilation. And I'm like, hey, man, what the fuck are you doing? And he's like, oh, oh, nothing. I'm like, I'm not mad. I'm not mad about it. I'm like, I'm just curious. Like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, man, it's crazy. And then he starts telling me this story. He's like, when we were here back in September, there was this kid in our unit, real asshole, man, everyone hates him. (laughs) His shoes started disappearing and he couldn't find, he's like going through this. And I look over at the bunk next to me and make eye contact with my, like all my friends are like close by, you know, I make eye contact with them and I'm like, listen to this. And they start listening to this story and they're like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> one of them, one of our buddies is almost crying He's like, he's like holding his stomach. He's in like pain, trying to like not laugh audibly. And I'm just listening to the, this kid tell this story in disbelief. And I'm like, oh man, dude, that's, that's crazy. I'm like, whatever happened with that? And he's like, it couldn't have happened at a worse time. He's like, we had a PT test the next day. And then we had an arms inspection. He had to get transport all the way to South Fort Hood to get these new shoes, which was a nightmare. He almost missed the arms. And in- he's like going through the fact that like, by me taking this kid's shoes, it almost ruined the trajectory of his entire <laughs> life. And I'm just like, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> that's
1: amazing. Yeah. I'm impressed. Yeah. <laughs> I had this one officer that I, I think he was in brigade staff. So he was on Taji and he, he was in aviation. I don't know what his role was, but just, real pain in the ass to work with. I think he was in the planning cell. And um, he came down to the aircraft, and he was going home on TDY. And he kind of did the the faux pas of walking up to the aircraft and, like, leaving his bags at the back of the ramp so we could load them up for him. I was like, like no, that's not how this works, man. So I kind of, like, pointed to him, and he just kind of shrugged his shoulders and sat down and buckled up. So I threw him up. So when we got to where he was going, I'm pretty sure he was going to buy up, uh, probably to fly out of country. So we dropped him off in Baghdad, and uh, you know he expected his bags to be strapped down. So I assumed he needed help getting them off. So I uh, proceeded to pick them up and throw them as hard as I could off the back of the ramp, which I think took him by surprise with his duffel bag. But when I grabbed his laptop bag, like he had an extra bit of hustle in him that that day, it was a <laughs> little. A little bit of fear came through a little twinkle of fear in his eye, like as I threw that thing like a frisbee as hard as I could off the back of the aircraft.
0: But Yeah, man, you don't fuck with uh, flight crews, you don't fuck with people they're in control of your money. Yeah. Um you know, they're just they just there's etiquette. There's rules. There's etiquette, you know. You don't have to be an asshole to people.
1: We were doing this uh in two thousand eleven, like everything was shutting down in the country, so a lot of ours were like we'd send all the aircraft to one base. And like in one night we go from it's fully staffed to things shut down and nobody's there. So there was a lot of just very quick hops like that. And we had issues with this one base we've been working at. And I remember like we made comments the first days, like they need to be quicker loading up and getting their bags down. And like, we're not loading their bags when we get to where we're going. Like they need to take their bags off. And like, it was kind of an issue. And then the second night, like they were on the spot, like somebody must've and. in, High in the chain of command it must have really come down on them because they were taking everything. And I remember we landed and it was just like this horde of locusts just unloading everything out of the back of the aircraft. And it's like, I'm like looking around, like, do we still have our first aid kits? Like, where's my M4? Like, they're just taking everything and just running off the back. And uh the flight engineer on the back's like, My M4's gone. I'm like, where was it? He's like, It was hanging up behind the seats. Like, how did they why did they take that? I was like, I don't know, go get it. Like, you need it. Go get it. So it goes off and they're like, oh yeah, we just we were told we had to take everything off the aircraft. So we took everything. Like they're walking off like tech wipes and like, you know, like <laughs> I got this can of hydraulic fluid. I don't know what I'm gonna do with it, but I got it for later. So you know, just, just strip the thing clean. Like, look like you parked in downtown LA overnight.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, dude. Did you did you have anything that like you really looked forward to? Like, like the things that like really really kept you going uh, I I'll, I'll give you I'll give you my example because I was when I was listening to that I'm just like towards the end of that deployment I was keeping track of time by every Saturday night it would be Sunday evening because I work third shift the DFAC would have waffles and they were they were the best waffles mm-hmm. I've, I've ever had in my life it would always be like uh some like 13 year old, like Iraqi child making them. <laughs> that was my, my metric of time for like, probably like three months. I'm like, there's only seven more waffles until we're out of here, boys. You know, like that kept me going. Like I would, I I would be like excited about it. I would like, we would get to work that evening, and, like sit down in the break room for like a little bit before we like went out to do whatever we were doing that day. I'd be in the break room and be like, it's fucking waffle Sunday guys. Like I think about those. I haven't, I'll never have a waffle that good again in my entire life. There are that's, times where I think about just going back to just make it up. Just make it a, just make If it, there's some
1: nice VRBOs in Tashi, I don't know.
0: Yeah. Um, so do you have anything that was like, I know you guys got so, like, what was your favorite care package? What was your favorite, favorite care, care package, package you received? Wow.
1: We received, I, I don't even remember how many we had. Like the big cardboard boxes of Girl Scout cookies and I would say dozens of them. Like the whole crew shack, the walls are lined with Girl Scout cookies. And I used to like grab an entire package of Thin Mints and crush them on a flight. And
0: Girl Scout cookies were dope. Yeah, that was that was a big highlight. If anyone's listening to this and planning a care package right now. Girl Scout cookies. Girl Scout cookies are, yeah. Things we don't want, hand sanitizer. Yeah, I don't want hard candy, you fucking <laughs> psychopaths. I don't want a bag of Werther's Originals. Like, I don't, I don't want the fucking leftover candy you had from three Halloweens ago. That you're like, ah, oh, these people are an afterthought. Let me send this shit. It's Halloween.
1: Like, Let's get them candy corn. No, love this. Oh my god, a little memento from home.
0: I put together a care package uh, for the boys this last deployment. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, I felt like I was perfectly equipped to put together the best care package like i'm like have, i know i know experience. i know the things that i would want right and i'm going to make this as good as it possibly could be for them and so um i filled it with uh logs of zen pouches mm. cigars pepperoni logs beef jerky uh mouthwash <laughs> uh I can read between the lines. Yeah, um, and uh, and then I found a website uh, that sold thirteen dollar uh, flashlights. Oh, knockoff brand, uh, knockoff brand flashlights. And so I'm like, I can. This is a lot bang for your buck, you know. I can like really, I can really load up on these. I think I sent six or seven of them. Um, you didn't make them share. No, I didn't make them share what I did like do. What I did, a bunch do, of wipes in one. What I did do is I sent only one bottle of lube.
1: <laughs> I, Everybody knows then.
0: I sent I sent seven flashlights and then one bottle of lube. So if somebody had to request the lube, like they just they knew that was like the walk of shame. <laughs> I sent them a a, a BBW blow up doll. I I had so many ideas in mind for this care package. And what I really wanted, like the the icing on the cake that I was really looking for is um I wanted really, really bad porno mags. Like comically bad. Like <laughs> and so I got off work one day. I'd been kind of cultivating and putting together this care package for you know, a, a couple weeks it had been like my project for those last couple weeks. And I, I wanted to make sure that everything was, I covered all bases and I went to the porn store right after work, which going to an adult store at 4 PM on a weekday is sad. It's, it's sad. It's not the time that you go to one of those. Uh, I feel like that puts you in a very specific sort of clientele. <laughs> basis. When is the ideal time? I don't even I don't I imagine when it's dark out at least, you know. <laughs> just so nobody knows you're parking there. <laughs> uh but I go there, I walk in, and I i go over to like the magazine section and I'm looking for specific bad magazines. You know what I mean? Like I, I just had ideas in mind and none of all the magazines are just like magazines. So I go up to the counter and I'm like, are those all the magazines that you have? And the lady working's like, yeah. I'm like, you don't have like um, any like really like really really gross stuff. And she's like, well, we have like BDSM mags and like threesomes and stuff. And I'm like, no. I'm like, I want like uh, women over 400 pounds <laughs> or like ladies over 60. Like, you don't have any of those. And the look that this woman gave me was. She like this is a woman that's probably been asked some of the grossest questions on a day to day basis, and the look of disgust and you, and,
1: you were the one that day
0: in fear, like it broke this lady. Like <laughs> that was the day where she's like, you know what, puts her name to badge down. And she's like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm, um, done. I'm gonna go. Work somewhere else. So I put together this care package. I never find the disgusting porno mags that I want to to really pull it all together, but it's a good care package. Mm-hmm. And I had opened up, uh, I had opened up like a Venmo for it, so people could donate, so that I could you know spend more money on it and get the guys like everything that they wanted, um, which most of it went to those Zen, those like logs of Zen pouches. Right. Those are like fucking thirty dollars a log, and so. When I was asking people to donate for this care package, because I'm so weird about asking like people for money or like contributions, I'm like, I'm going to make sure that they know where their money is going. So I, I lay everything out on this table, pepperoni logs next to a bunch of silicone vaginas. um, And I take a picture of it and I start sending it to the people that donate I'm like, hey, here's what the care package turned out as. And everyone knew like what it was going to be. Right. Matt Seibel donated like fifty bucks. Uh, he's a sheet metal guy from mm-hmm. our, from our unit. Um, he donated like fifty dollars to it. So I am like sending these pictures to everyone. And I went to high school with a kid named Matt Seibold. I I said I've had maybe two conversations <laughs> with this kid my entire life. You know what I mean? Like about to be a third. Time, we aren't know. we aren't buddies. And so I go to type in Matt S. You know, and Seibold and Seibel pretty similar last fucking name right click that because i'm so giddy with excitement to send out this picture and i sent i send this picture to this dude and i'm like hey just wanted you to know where your money went you know i think they're gonna love it and then i realize after the fact i'm like oh fuck like this kid that i haven't spoke to in fucking nine (laughs) years that, that barely knows me just fucking Got a picture of a table full of fucking pocket pussies and fucking meat logs. And I'm like, <laughs> they're going to love it, dude. And so then I like messaged back right away. I'm like, uh, I'm like, Oh, I didn't mean that that wasn't meant for you. And he just never responded, man. He just never responded. I saw that dude at Walmart uh, a few months ago. He lives up in the area now mm. and, uh, I'm like, Hey, what's up? And he's like, Hey,
1: no, we're <laughs> not like that, man.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They loved it though.
1: It- so, I don't know if you saw, uh Nico and I um, put together a care package for the boys when they were in Afghanistan
0: in 2016-17. I'm excited to hear about
1: it. Uh, we sent them, I believe, five Casey's pizzas. Okay. So, we had an experiment. We were we were curious. Um, we made the uh, scientific assumption that Casey's pizza has enough grease in it that it'll hold up pretty well no matter what. Kind of uh, like, like McDonald's cheeseburgers Yeah, and stuff. exactly. Okay. So, we uh, vacuum-wrapped a couple... Casey's Pizza's, I think a Casey's Pizza, and left it out on the uh, LUH bench for quite some time. I think two weeks, you know, the appropriate amount of time it would take to travel from here to Afghanistan. Yeah, for sure. And then uh, we busted it open and partook in it just to kind of, you know, proof of concept. Nobody got sick. Nobody died. So at that point, we're like, you know what? I think this is a go. So, yeah, we sent a bunch of Casey's Pizza. I think two giant flat rate mailers of Casey's Pizza's. That they reheated. And then, uh, we also did, uh, some Rudy's enchiladas, not as exciting as meat logs and pocket pussies apparently, but it, I think it was well received. A was, taste of,
0: a taste of a home. taste of home. Yeah. 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 Definitely some more like practicality, definitely some more of like the things you actually want where like my package was like, I mean, I sent those, I sent those pocket pussies coming from like the perspective of a man that like hasn't needed to fuck a like a pocket pussy <laughs> in a long time. My like my brain wasn't deployed in a long time. My yeah in a long time. <laughs> my brain wasn't deployment brain anymore. You know what I mean? Like I I couldn't even relate to like the idea of like having to like jerk off in like a 120 degree porta potty. Like those days were long gone. So for me it was like a goof. Like <laughs> they aren't going to use these because I just you know I just forgotten that part of my life but they definitely got used, man. Like I think they really, I think it really raised morale for the, the entire year. For
1: a couple people at least, right?
0: Yeah. It was like just a big joke for me, but for them, they're like, thank you. Yeah. thank you, thank you so Seriously, much, man. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> they, all had, I, they When I picked out
1: your gift today, I kind of, I walked in into Goodwill uh, looking for something to bring you. And um, I have never walked into a Goodwill and purchased a pineapple lamp with such confidence as I did today.
0: Yeah, you've really set a gold standard for I, when I when I put together this podcast I wasn't like I want this to be a collection of people bringing me um gifts, you know, and cel- and celebrating me, but now I feel like everyone's obligated to.
1: So I think moving forward, um if, if you receive gifts, can we do kind of like a antique road show appraisal? Uh, maybe Tell me a little bit about the history of
0: the lamp. Why don't? You, and, why don't? Yeah. Why don't you tell the guest about the lamp right now? All right.
1: So this is a uh, early fifties um, pineapple lamp. As you can see, it's got the uh, traditional orientation. Um, we have a party LED bulb installed that changes colors. A, new, a, a newer um, burlap lampshade. Um, the two prong cord kind of shows its its age and antiquity. Um, it's valued at about six dollars and eighty eight cents by Goodwill right now. Um, they also had the, uh, the, I would say, less traditional, but maybe becoming more increasingly traditional, upside-down pineapple lamp available as well. Okay. I wasn't sure where you were trying to go with the podcast, so I picked the uh, uh, traditional orientation for you.
0: Do you know that the pineapple is uh, the symbol of swingers? Uh, I do, in fact, yes. Hence, the uh, I,
1: I chose the okay. upwards, uh, the downwards. I wasn't sure where you were going with the podcast. I um, yeah. didn't want to set a weird standard for
0: you. I, uh... I didn't know that. I didn't know that for a long time. I have a, uh, I have a button up shirt. That's a pineapple print. Okay. I went through, uh, I went through a phase like a couple years ago where, uh, my fashion was decorated with like zany print, uh, button down shirts. You know what I mean? Like sailboats and dinosaurs and flamingos and pine, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like that, like as you do,
1: Yeah. as you do
0: when you're discovering yourself and, uh, do you know I me. Mean? airports like that was like my travel shirt that pineapple shirt you know I me. Mean? airports i walked through like wearing a pineapple button-up shirt like how many people like nodded at me you know get any free drinks out of it or anything n- never never any free drinks
1: Never. oh have you ever heard a machinize
0: uh story no i would love to <laughs>
1: <laughs> in uh salt lake city of all places um I think we'd all gone downtown. I don't know if you were on that trip or not, but it was one of the, the many trips I took out there. Um, Mac and I decided to go down to a piano bar downtown okay, to enjoy that and sat down with an, an older couple who were very friendly and uh, proceeded to buy us a lot of drinks that night. And uh, I guess I wasn't quite aware of that um, subsect. Maybe I was a little blissfully unaware yeah, of kind of...
0: Well, you spend so many days in your life not having old couples ask if you want to have sex with them that yeah. when it happens, you are like, I didn't, I didn't know it was going this direction at all. So it's not your fault, man. That's just- it's, it. Kind of took a strange turn,
1: but uh, eventually it was, it was, uh, it was questioned. Um, we we respectfully declined, and then uh, I think we proceeded to leave on a rickshaw. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but. <laughs>
0: What would what would the dynamic have been in that situation? Did you I mean like I, I assumed you guys just declined, but I really wish that there was a scenario where you're like, logistically. <laughs> now there's three of us. I
1: think there's no logistics <laughs> whatsoever.
0: There was How's this happening with your with your wife? Um Yeah, that's an uncomfortable situation. It was situ- a
1: very uh interesting situation, yeah.
0: Yeah. I've never I've never been approached like that in person, but um Uh, A couple years back, this girl messaged me on Facebook and she's like, she's like, you're really cute or whatever. And like her profile picture is like her with like her boyfriend. You know what I mean? I haven't always been like a great human being in my life, but I think I was like, this was an area where I was really trying to like turn my life around. I'm like, I'm, I'm done being a piece of shit, you know? And so I'm like, I appreciate the compliment, but you know, looks like you have a boyfriend. So like maybe don't. Send dudes messages, you know, telling them you're cute or whatever. And that was that. I felt good about it. I'm like, I could have taken that a different way. Mm -hmm. I could have taken advantage of that situation. I don't know the dude and this girl looked good, you know, like it would have been fine. But I I like, I'm like, you know what? I did the right thing there. The next day I'm talking like nine in the morning, which is the craziest part of this story to me. Her boyfriend messages me and he's like, Hey man, sorry about my girlfriend uh, the other day. She just thinks you're really cute. Uh, we were wondering if maybe, you know, <laughs> you wanted to do like this little, and I, just, I, I, I was like staring at this message, man. I was like, so sh- I was so surprised by it, you know, like it. And then I'm just like, dude, it's, it's nine in the fucking morning, bro. It's <laughs> nine. In, like you woke up. That was like how your day started. Right. You're like, I've got to get this sorted out. Before got I go to my, work. got my morning coffee, <laughs> settling into work. I need to message this guy and let him know before an entire day passes um, that <laughs> me and my girlfriend want to have sex with him. I'm just like, what the, f- what the fuck? I had like a bit about it for a while. I'm like, you save these questions for the fucking evening, dude. You know, <laughs> like, but it is, dude, people are just,
1: it's different. It's, it's very, uh, yeah,
0: it's different.
1: It's different. <laughs> I think that, I think you were on that trip. Cause I think that was the the trip we all were sitting down in the lobby every night and just Oh man. Making all the Mormons very disappointed in our life decisions.
0: Yeah, that altitude. That altitude will uh it'll get to we you. were
1: uh was that the trip we were trying to figure out the best ginger beer for Moscow mules, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah. We drink a lot of I that trip, I think that might have been my first experience with Moscow mules, and it's been like a a mainstay in like my I love a good Moscow Mule, now right. really. Well, yeah, we'd have to go to like those state-run liquor stores and stuff. What yeah. a weird state! It's a very strange state. What a weird state! It was a weird time in my life. It was a. Uh, I love that trip. I th- I think about <laughs> all the time. I'm like, I can't believe I'm getting paid to. I can't believe I'm getting paid to be here. Settlemeyer and I almost died in the mountains. I thought he was a. Uh, You know, I thought he was outdoorsy enough that he could lead us through.
1: And now he's a park ranger. Now he's
0: he's a park ranger. Falling apart. We just didn't know what we were doing. You know, we're just like, we, we Ubered, you know, like we like picked up an Uber. (laughs) And I just assumed that if, if you're in an Uber in Salt Lake City, Utah, I can be like, Hey man, like wherever you take people all the time to go on hikes, just take us there. You know? Right. And this was like the one Uber driver. It's like, I have no concept of any of that. And so we're just like pointing around, right? Like, this seems like a place that we could probably do it. And he like drops us off on private property. <laughs> we're like walking around like this place. And eventually somebody's like, Hey, this is my home. Right. <laughs> like, oh, sorry, man. Nice place. Slowly, is like, walk up the street, like a little bit further and start climbing a mountain. Man, no cell service. Uh, Our phones yeah. are dying. Boots are soaked. This is a good time, man. That was a good time. I love Utah. I, love, I think about I think about going back all the time. He gave me Colorado vibes, but like with probably none of like the massive influx of people that Colorado has in right.
1: it. You right. know,
0: like a more desolate, like like a like an introverts Colorado.
1: I know? kind of enjoyed that. Like you could go like any direction from there. It's like you could go south and you're like into like moab or you could go west and be over in like the salt flats
0: big desert area what so what do you what do you like doing now that you're uh you're traveling for work when you have like free time and stuff out in california Um, how do you like entertaining yourself
1: so last year i didn't do a good job of it i kind of worked came home didn't really take advantage of anything so spent basically all of last year in la
0: in pretty cool part didn't visit one porn set No. Now I've been to all of them. (laughs) I frequent them all. So we were actually at the bar. Um, There's a little brewery
1: pizza place just down the road from where we stay right now. And we, on crew change night, we'd all go down there and have pizza and beer and stuff. And we walked in there the one night, and they're like, you guys just get done filming. Like, what? Like, oh, the, the Chippendale stuff. You guys over there filming the Chippendale stuff? I was like... All right. Hell yeah, dude. Like, are we filming or are we like like the guys behind this the scene holding the mic, boom? Like what 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 are you thinking here, Mr. Bartender? Because
0: 'Cause you're about to get a really good tip, depending on how you answer yeah. this question. He says that to every single person right. he that does walks absolutely. in. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Two people walking after, like, hey guys, let's get back f- from filming chip like, I'm gonna leave this guy a great tip. What a Please. cheat code, dude. Like <laughs> every single <laughs> <day. laughs> all the money. Yeah.
1: So yeah, last year we did uh, I kind of flew out and went Early, or a little bit later than one day. So me and my mechanic went down and checked out uh, Santa Monica Pier. Got to see that. Okay. Kind of went there early in the morning. There was nobody there. It was kind of cool. So this year I'm trying to do a little bit more. So I just uh, backpacked Catalina last week.
0: Yeah, I saw that. It was fun. I saw that. It looked beautiful. It was very pretty.
1: It was beautiful. It was intense, but it was a good time.
0: Cool. I uh, Do you have like a little bucket list of things that you want to do? You want to go deep sea fishing out there? I do kind of want to go deep sea Dude, I've always sure. wanted to go deep sea fishing. So, so bad. So badly. One of our firefighters who works with us a lot, he uh, he
1: goes offshore fishing a lot and he'll bring in tuna and stuff in the morning and oh, it's the best. Like just, makes just you, caught it the day before. Just makes you
0: like tuna steaks and stuff. Right. Yeah.
1: Make some sushi like yeah. right there at work. It's, Amazing.
0: It's rough. It's the worst. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. It seems like a great life. And now you work with uh, every person. <laughs> You're just like, I'm bringing some people over. <laughs> all of them <laughs> recruiting people. <laughs> have you reached out to Mac? Have you been like, Hey, Hey button, what you doing? Yeah, I should. Yeah. You could come do it. It'd be done fine. being a butcher. I think about it, man. I think about it. I, uh, it's weird. Like the only constraint that I have in terms of traveling, cause I, I enjoyed it when I was, when I was doing it for work. Um, it's just this, it's just this fucking dog. He's literally it. He's like the, <laughs> um, and it's, it's, it's so funny to say, and like there are times I get like embarrassed to say it. And it's just like, man, you know, like I just feel like he already made it through like a deployment without me. And then he made it through like the nine month period of time that I was gone like three weeks like out of every month. I'm just like, he's only gonna be here for like a little bit, you know, I might as well like take right. it with him. But uh he's literally like the amount of the amount of financial successes that would have been introduced into my life if I wasn't literally just an owner of a farm raised golden retriever we <laughs> <laughs> you know that like can't drink water too fast without like throwing up all over himself <laughs> it's silly to think about but uh he is I, i'm loyal to him Good. you know i'm loyal to my dog that's really about it maybe i'll just get rid of him you know there are times where i'm like i have to dust mop this place like every day I have to lint roll and vacuum my couch, d shed. Uh, you know, I I brush them constantly. There are times where I'm just like, you know what, man? Like maybe we've spent we spent six years together. You know, you can go just What's... just you can go oh, man. You can go kick it with somebody else for like the the rest of your time.
1: It's not me. Or it's not you. It's me. <clears throat>
0: <laughs> but yeah, no, I I do. I see. uh I remember Chandler was super excited when he got on. Now I see that Wookiee's out there with you. You're bringing on, like, my favorite people from the... It's a good time.
1: We have a lot of fun. Yeah, I bet. We've got a, a meme contest going right now on the trailer, so it's been intense.
0: I miss, like... I miss the shenanigans of, like, being surrounded with, like, those, those type of people. And whenever I kind of start, like, bringing any, like, wackiness or, like, silliness into, like, my job now and realize that I'm surrounded with, like normal adults with like an, a normal spectrum <laughs> of like emotion and like humor. without Asperger's like the rest of us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um well man, I'm so glad you came over. I appreciate it me, man. man. This is a great, great time. Anime. Thank it's you for the pineapple lamp, dude. You're welcome. Everyone listening, really, come, come with gifts. Come correct from now on. It
1: ties the room together.
0: Goodwill, fruit related uh gifts. Kind of goes with the uh slice of life theme, I think. Very fruit themed this yeah, place has become absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Slice of Life. Thank you, Ryan Hoover, for coming and chatting with me. Have a good day.